we've just started this reflection on change. We've had a few moments, but I'm gonna talk now for a longer time about change. And as I'm talking, I invite all of you to reflect, really reflect on the changes either that you're facing, that you don't like that are happening, the changes that aren't happening in your life that you wish were happening, the changes that maybe if you just sat and really thought for a moment, maybe you need to make that you hadn't even realized yet. And I'm going to adjust my stand if I can. Um, so I've always been kind of obsessed with self-growth. A couple years ago, a group of my friends and I went, on, went to a vacation in Kentucky to do part of the Bourbon Trail. And one night after a day of distilleries and uh, evening with a few glasses of wine, we started talking about our lives and our hopes and our dreams for the coming year. And honestly, I don't remember at all what any of my friends talked about that night. But when it came time for me to share mine, what my goals were for that year, without a trace of irony, I said that my goal was to grow five years worth of maturity and wisdom and well-being over the next six months. <laughs> and uh, what that actually meant, I really don't know. It definitely wasn't one of those smart goals. It wasn't specific or measurable or attainable or realistic or, uh, well, it was time delineated, six months. Um, but what it actually revealed was how I was feeling at that time in my life. Because I was feeling so desperately unhappy with how things were, actually with who I was, that all I could wish for was for everything to change and change completely, dramatically, in like the most immediate time possible. Or at least part of me wanted to change. Because another part of me was pleading, stay the same, stay the same, for the love of God, just just stay the same. Um, because honestly, what I was saying with this ridiculous thing, I was covering over what I really, really knew was the change that I needed to make. Um, because if I'm being truthful at that time in my life, I was terrified by the change that was just like knocking on my door. Like I was stomach and knots terrified. I was, sorry if this sounds cliche, but it's just the truth. I was trying to come out like come out of the closet. I was toward the end of a much, this much less murkier, much less defined, much less talked about stage of coming out, the stage of coming out to yourself. And I was really right there on the cusp of slowly coming out to other people. But as a bisexual, actually really mostly lesbian, yet femme presenting woman from Texas, who's also super religious and like trying to be a pastor, not only was I trying to find the language to describe my sexuality, I was trying to describe my identity to myself to make sense of it, and I was trying to explain it to other people, and it just really felt like too much. I was actually trying to muster up the courage. Actually, it wasn't really courage. I was trying to find the vulnerability to be who I was, to become what I was, when what I was, know who I am, and who I already was, was also simultaneously not who I was. And it wasn't who I thought I was before, and it's not who I thought I should be. I didn't have the language for it at the time, but I knew that I needed to change and change a lot in order to become who I already was. 
I'd have to tell people a different thing about who I am, like change my dating profile to say interested in women or call myself queer or bisexual or pansexual or whatever it is. I'd have to do different things. I'd have to go different places, like spend a year in Oakland, California, or go to Andrea Gibson poetry readings. I'd have, which I love a lot, <laughs> I'd have to let go of these long-held pictures and expectations about what my future was going to look like. I'd have to grapple with the possibility that maybe I wouldn't have that husband and that traditional family that I always thought I would after all. And honestly, facing and going through these changes stirred up so many contrasting and competing emotions in me. There are moments of incredible joy and freedom. Ugh, it sounds so cheesy, but <laughs> like realizing that a lot of other uh, queer women have this inexplicable affinity for wearing beanies. Um, but there was also experiences of profound grief. Really, really like sad things, like letting go of who I thought I was gonna be or recognizing that this person that I am would be rejected by some people or it would put up a wall between me and others. And perhaps more than anything, there was a whole lot of fear. There were fears that I knew that I had and fears that I didn't. And then there was fears that went away and there were fears that didn't. But what was clear was that these changes that I was making were not easy and they weren't always followed by immediate payoff. More often than not, the payoff took quite a while to show up and sometimes I'm still looking for it. But what was also clear was I had to make these choices and decisions and changes to become who I am. And looking back now, a few years later, I can say with complete confidence and certainty that I'm glad I did. And so it's this idea, this idea that we actually have to change, no matter who we are or where we find ourselves in life, all of us have to actually change to become who we are. It's this that I want us to reflect on today and throughout this Advent season. Because I think this paradoxical statement is at the very heart of Christianity, and it's certainly at the heart of the Advent season. During the season, not only do we prepare for Christ's return to the world, and the sense of checking things off of a to-do list, but we prepare ourselves internally to become the ones who make Christ's return possible. We prepare ourselves in the sense that our very selves are transformed. It's the kind of transformation that requires introspection, listening patiently to the stillness that we might find on these dark, long, cold winter nights. The introspection that takes consciously listening for that voice that calls us from within. It's this kind of growing back and transforming toward the person that we are um, that is really necessary for all of us, each of us, be, to do in this world because this world that we're in is really an in-between kind of space. It's a space that's symbolically represented by Christmas. During this Advent season, we remember that Christ has already come into the world and saved it, and yet, just look around, we're like surrounded all of the time by pain and suffering and hope and expectation, and we know we're not there yet. We're still waiting for Christ to come again. We're in between. This duality is meant to illustrate something about what life feels like. It feels like a whole mixture of pain and despair, just the joy and bliss, victory and defeat, fear and hope, and on and on, and it's all mixed up so much of the time that really most, we just see this brown beige mixture that we call normalcy, 
that we call life. And in this in-between world, we ourselves are inevitably in between too. Martin Luther, the very traditional Christian theologian, uh, called Christians, all Christians, all people really, um, this paradoxical thing. They were sinners and saints, saved and redeemed, all at the same moment. At the same moment, every one of us human beings carries this in-betweenness mixed up with, with us all the time. And that's because as soon as we enter into this life, we enter into the messiness and mixed up world, the one that's so familiar to us. This world where there's all of this pain that precedes us, where as soon as we are born, we inherit our parents' trauma and our parents' parents' trauma. We inherit our classmates in elementary school and middle school's trauma. We inherit our, our society's trauma, the traumas that we know well of racism, sexism, colonialism, on and on, even things that seem like a little less bad, maybe, like we inherit this workaholicism or this meritocracy, and all of these things really become our own, or at least they feel like they're our own. And all of these forces conspire to make it really impossible to escape this life unscathed. One of the most ancient ways that people have talked about sin was as a stain, like a stain. It wasn't something so much that we do, but something that gets on us, and it sticks on us, and it marks us. These forces in our world that harm us, that make us cower in shame and puff up in protective coping mechanisms are the stains that we inevitably incur in this life. As our lives go on, we can start to think that these stains, these labels, nerd, queer, class clown, fat, blonde, skinny, blah, 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 or these coping mechanisms, are what we really are. And they come to cover, cover over what we truly are. These really messy, really complex, but really beautiful creations of God who are certainly so much more than any of these containers can hold. And I think that's what a lot of this pain that is so universal to the human experience is. It's that we're constantly forgetting and being contained and not being allowed to be who we really are in all of our fullness. And it's constantly painful if we let it be painful because in our minds and in our souls, we know that whoever we are right now is not fully who we were meant to be. It's not even fully who we are. And so in today's scripture, there's this guy, John the Baptist, and he's yelling at people. He's yelling, Repent of your sins, wash your sins away, wash those stains right off of you, and look what's underneath. And what does he tell us we'd see underneath those stains? He says that we'd see a world and a self that's so unbelievably different than the one that we usually see. Right underneath these stains, he tells us we'd see a world where valleys are high and mountains are low, where rough places are smooth and smooth places are rough which like is maybe kind of good news, but let's really dwell on it for a second because it's meant to shake us up. And if it's not shaking us up and if we don't hate it a little bit, I'm not sure that we're really getting it. It's one of the core scriptures of this season, this whole mountains high, oh, that's a song by, who's, who's the song by? Ain't no mountain, yeah, that's a Tina Turner song. But this is, uh, uh, 
Uh, I don't know. Nobody knows. Okay. Thank you, Dorian. But I got it wrong because the scripture is the opposite. Mountains low, valleys high. And I lost my place. But the scripture is just like really familiar if you've been in church. You've heard it before. Um, but it's kind of the opposite of probably what we usually hear and think about Christmas. Christmas is this quiet time, this still time. It's this time where like you do the traditions that you've always done. But this image is really the opposite of that message. It's about like mountains falling and like shaking you to your core. It's about prophets screaming, change, change, change. It's like quite literally the apocalypse. And as exciting, as beautiful as that picture might be, especially if we imagine those mountains as things that have been holding us back and causing us pain, um, that might seem like a good thing. But also, like, let's be honest, it's also a destruction. It's also an ending. And endings are hard, and they're sad, and they're scary. Because the truth is, all change, even if it's ultimately for the better, entails some loss. And so, as we think about this scripture, I think it's easier in a way that I would have preached it not too long ago, um, would be like from this perspective of like an oppressed person. And there's all of these structures in society that need to change and we need to tear them down. When all of these things have been like harming you and keeping you out off the mountain and low in the valley, then it's good news, right? Like it's gonna change. But that's actually just like not completely true or realistic in some sense because we're a whole lot more complex than that. None of us are really up on this mountain. None of us really are mountains. None of us are really just purely valleys. We're always some sort of mix of the two. And so any changes that we make, some of it's gonna feel like gain, some of it's gonna feel like loss. And until we can kind of swim through that messiness that's inherent in all change, we're not going to be able to make the changes that we need to make. Earlier this week, I was having dinner with one of my friends um, from college, and we were talking about change, um, some changes that she knew that she was trying to make and was having trouble with, some changes that I have been having trouble trying to make. And she brought up something that her therapist said to her that's honestly a lot more concrete um, than how I usually think about things. That's something I love about therapists. Sometimes they just like hit it on the head, right? And what her therapist said to her when she was struggling to make these changes that she thought she wanted to make, her therapist asked, what are you getting out of how things are? What are you getting out of the status quo? And for many of us, that's like the most challenging question and in so many ways, the most challenging spiritual work that we need to do. Not only during this Advent season, but over and over again and over the course of our whole lives, we have to ask ourselves, do I really want to change? And if I'm changing, what am I giving up in the process? Because unless we can name those things that we're giving up, whether it be this somewhat satisfying, well-paying job, but that we also kind of hate, or that bad relationship that feels so familiar, and yet it's kind of like inexplicably satisfying, or this idea of a person who's just like really reliable and always gets shit done, but it's like driving you crazy, or closets where we find ourselves shut up, or these shame 
stories that we tell ourselves that are kind of comforting because it's easier to just keep on believing the things that are true, whatever it is, we have to actually be ready to give something up if we're going to change. And we have to somehow trust that this giving up, this collapsing of the old ways of the world is sometimes, or maybe more often than we know it, the very first glimpse of our salvation. Because the truth is, we still haven't become who we are. We still have changes to make to ourselves. And in so many ways, I think that this really is the message of Christmas and Advent. This idea that even God had to change to become who God is. God had to become, like God, had to become human in order to become who God is. God had to come down off of God's mountain. God had to raise God's lowly valley. God had to come out in order to be God's self. And if even God had to change in so many radical ways to be God's self, then don't we also have to change? And so as we go throughout this Advent season, I just ask, what changes do you need to make in your life that might be scary, that might be hard, in order to be who you are? The good news is you don't have to go through these changes alone. We're here as a community to talk about them. We're here with God or this ultimate thing that's also changing right along with us. That is the promise of Advent and Christmas. So may we find the discipline to make the changes that we need to make and stick to them. May we find the strength to grieve what we're losing with the changes. May we change like our lives depend on it. Amen.